0: Welcome to the Capital Link Shipping Podcast Series. I'm Nicolas Bornozis, President of Capital Link. Our podcast series is a means to educate a broader audience on topics of critical importance to the shipping industry. As such, our podcasts aim to be informational and educational. Every week, we host an exclusive interview with C-level executives and major industry figures. This is today our eighth podcast. I would like to thank IHS for sponsoring and conducting this podcast. IHS Market is listed on NASDAQ under the ticker symbol INFO, and it is a world leader in critical information, analytics, and solutions for the major industries and markets that drive economies worldwide. The company delivers next-generation information, analytics, and solutions to customers in business, finance, and government, improving their operational efficiency, and providing deep insights that lead to well-informed, confident decisions. IHS Market has more than 50,000 business and government customers, including 80% of the Fortune Global 500 and the world's leading financial institutions. Headquartered in London, IHS Market is committed to sustainable, profitable growth. And again I would like to thank them for sponsoring and conducting today's podcast. We welcome our featured speaker who needs no introduction. Mr. Joe Hughes, Chairman and CEO at the Shipowners Claims Bureau, in short SCB. Interviewing Joe is John Guy, insurance correspondent at Fairplay a well-known journalist in the maritime industry. John and Joe have spoken to each other and have interacted in the past, and we look forward to today's discussion as well. Today's podcast is on the topic of marine insurance and where the market is headed. And now I will turn over the floor to John and uh, Joe. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Nicholas. Um, Always a pleasure to speak to you, Joe. Um, Can we start? Thank you. Um, can we start with a? I think a more, you know, sort of a, a, an over overreaching sort of a, or overarching um, question. I think sort of in terms of the um, in terms of the tone. What, what do you see as the present tone of the marine insurance market? You know, sort of how are global claims developing, uh, and in which direction do you see premiums heading?
2: Uh, Thank you very much indeed, John. It's a great pleasure to have this opportunity of uh, discussing these subjects with you, and thank you very much indeed, Nicholas, for making this opportunity available. Um, I should just add by way of background that SCB is the manager of the American P&I Club, and I'm speaking to you, of course, from New York, Um, and uh, we are, as the club, a member of the international group of P&I clubs, and in addition to that, we also have a variety of other insurance products that we offer, including Eagle Ocean Marine, which is a fixed premium uh, in the P&I facility for the insurance of, of smaller operators and local and regional trades. But I've come on to that in greater detail, but to answer your first question, John, um, I think the tone at the moment is comparatively flat. I think that uh, there has been some attenuation of premium over recent years in both the Hull and PNI sector. In fact, some people would say more than some attenuation attenuation, some considerable reduction in overall premium rates over the last five years or so. Um, and and I think that, that those conditions persist. However, in regard to the development of global claims, which of course is largely a driver of premium rates in the first instance, uh, those have been relatively benign over recent years. Um, both from a hull and a liability or protection and indemnity perspective. I think uh, there may be signs, however, that uh, things are turning up a little bit. So far as the American club is concerned, we had uh, a very good year in 2017 or at least 2017 policy year to date. But I think that across the market as a whole, talking to uh, colleagues in other clubs and indeed in the larger market, There may be signs that both attritional claims and larger claims may be turning up a bit, uh, but it would be a trend that hasn't been seen in the market for, uh, for some years, actually. Yeah, I mean,
1: from from that point of view, picking up on that, um, is that uh, I mean, obviously a lot has been done by by the the shipping community, and obviously hand in hand with with their underwriting and insurance partners. Um, is it a case really that sort of you know some some of these you know we are seeing sort of safety standards continuing to to ratchet up?
2: Yes, I think so. I think yes. I mean, I think that shipping now um, has never been safer, and the adherence to Regulation and all the other initiatives that ship owners have taken, supported by P&I clubs and other insurers, are actually showing real results. I mean, I think that although that's something of a soft element or a soft benefit of the manner in which the market has developed in recent years, I think it's nonetheless a real one. And uh, loss prevention efforts, I think, have had uh, a benevolent effect on claims. However, with world trade picking up, of course, um, and you know some degree of uh, commodity price inflation coming into play. Inevitably, this has something of an inflationary effect over time on the level of liability claims, in particular. So I think that uh, you know we may we may see something of an upturn over the months and years ahead. But I don't think I see at this stage anything that's particularly worrying or, or, or very significant.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, that brings us quite nicely onto the issue or, or, or sort of like the, the liability side or the, the P&I side. And of course, um, you know, the international group, um, with its sort of 13 members controls a huge, um, a huge percentage of, or, or actually underwrites a huge percentage of, uh, of global shipping. Um, and of course, it, it does actually uh, enjoy currently an almost unrivaled position in the global marine mar, marine insurance sector. Um, but I mean, can you ever see a day when that dominant position will be challenged, or, or do you think the structure is such, and the way in which it, you know, and the, obviously the mutual nature of it, um, it is such that it, it sort of almost sets the bar too high for, for any new entrants to, uh, to to sort of uh, you know sort of make any significant inroad into the, in, in, into that sort of P and I sector? Uh,
2: well, you know, your observations about the market position of the international group. Um, you know, the, 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 are well taken. I mean, they're they're absolutely right. I mean, collectively, the thirteen clubs within the group account for something like ninety to ninety-five percent of liability insurance uh, for world shipping uh, as a whole. So it is a very significant position that they have in the market. Um, the group, of course, and certainly the individual clubs within it, have been around for a very, very long time we at the american club last year celebrated our centennial what i think is remarkable is that the american club at 100 years old is the second youngest group club not the oldest or the second oldest but the second youngest believe it or not um the the two oldest clubs i think it will be a 163 years old this this year so you know, if you, if, if you look back over time and, you know, the, the original formations of the international, what was then called the London Group, not the international group, back right at the end of the 19th century, in 1899, in fact, the system um, and that which underpins it has been around for a very long time. And I think that that actually speaks to the approbation, in the final analysis, of the shipping industry at large, um, rather than, uh, than anything else. Uh, because it's obviously a way, by virtue of the manner in which the mutual system operates and so on, um, that ship owners find to their taste. And it, it, it is it's something that they want to continue. Um, and I think, you know, you would never say never, but I think that the underlying strengths of the group are likely to persist, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, the pooling system is a great strength that underpins that, the ability to Um, by very high limits of liability within the market for the market covers that we collectively have, the enormous brains trust, which the international group represents, all these things are uniquely valuable to the shipping community at large. And of course, the way in which mutuals operate means that the ship owners themselves are highly participative in the manner uh, in which their individual clubs and the system as a whole operates. So I think it's going to be... Uh, a model that's going to be difficult to to challenge that has been for for many, many years. Having said that, and as I think, John, you know, uh, there is a a growing fixed uh, premium space within the totality of liability insurance. As I mentioned earlier on, Eagle Ocean Marine, the American Club's fixed premium facility, uh, is part of that. I think that there will always be a place for fixed premium. Uh, insurance for liability risks within the market. I think that that will appeal mainly to the operators of smaller vessels in local and regional trades. But I think that the primacy of the uh, international group for ocean-going, internationally trading large vessels is likely to to continue uh, for the foreseeable future.
1: I mean that that sort of brings on quite nicely because of course, as you say, you know the the P and I sector very much sort of focusing on that sort of in you know the the the, the sort of global you know, the sort of global trade. Um, you know obviously what we have seen um, in recent years and particularly sort of you know I think was was you know um, I think the the most pertinent example recently was obviously the Concordia where the Italian government were were quite um you know were quite uh, were got involved in, in and were quite sort of stringent on what they they saw as how they'd like the uh, the the, the re- removal of wreck handled um in your yeah. view um you know of course that's just one way we've seen this and of course the regulators are um are ramping this up i mean i, I you know what's how do you view the issue of the greater regulation by coastal states you know including sort of new rules around emission levels um, yeah. So what can or is the p sector doing to sort of manage the regulators' expectations, obviously, on behalf of the, the wider maritime market?
2: Well, I'd have a number of observations in relation to that, John. First of all, regulation, increasing regulation, um, is here to stay. The world is a much more regulated place in general, and that applies as much to shipping as it does to any other sphere of, of human enterprise or activity. Indeed, the clubs are uh, probably more tightly regulated now than they ever have been in the past. I mean, certainly issues like Solvency II and risk-based capital here over in the United States governs the manner in which we conduct our own affairs um, from a financial and other point of view. But in in relation to to, to, to shipping regulation as such, I think it can be said that the clubs have stepped up Uh, very successfully over uh, recent years and indeed for for an extended period of time in uh, providing their members with the sorts of cover and the sorts of certification and so on that they need in relation to new regulations as they're developed. I mean, the the beginning of this, I suppose, goes back to the late 60s with the Civil Liability Convention and the protocols there too. Then we had the Athens Convention in regard to passenger claims. Then we had the Bunker Convention. Um, We may have a Hazardous and Noxious Substances Convention coming at us. We have the Maritime Labour Convention. All these new forms of regulation, and indeed, not just internationally but at uh, the state level have been responded to by the clubs um, in the manner in which they can provide certification uh, and so on for the uh, where it's relevant uh, for the establishment of uh, liability regimes as uh, a coverage for ship owners and indeed the victims of maritime accidents uh, where those liability regimes have taken place. So I think that the clubs uh, haven't I mean, there's only so much they can do in terms of um, dealing with regulation at at a ground level, so to speak. I mean, clubs are meant to be reactive, ultimately, uh, to those liabilities that ship owners are facing. But I think they've done a very good job over the year in providing the kind of framework within which the demands of regulators from the point of view of liability insurance can very successfully be met. And I think that is likely to continue for the future. So far as emissions control is concerned, um, those regulations, which of course are coming ever increasingly in force in various parts of the world, uh, are not something that directly affect clubs as such in the sense that uh, coverage for those kinds of fines or uh, the consequences of failure to use the right sort of fuel and, and, and therefore be in breach of the regulations is not something that clubs in the ordinary way would cover. It's possible, I suppose, for a fine or something of that nature to be covered by a club, um, on, ref- you know, by reference to the exercise of a club board's discretion in an individual case. Uh, but, you know, to sum it all up, I think that regulation is something that, Will increasingly be the case, but if you look historically in appropriate cases where the clubs have reacted to growing regulation, they've acquitted themselves extremely well as a group in, uh, in responding to ship owner needs. Mm. Um,
1: yeah, sort of taking that theme on a little bit. So, sort of what do you see as the emerging issues for the market? Um, I mean, I think much has been discussed in some of the media around sort of cyber um but from your point of view um what do you see as the sort of emerging issues that that maybe the the, the ship owning community or the shipping community um need to have on their on their radar
2: well um, there, there are several issues here that relate i suppose to different aspects of uh, the shipping industry and and you know the perspectives of ship owners uh, so far as The economics of underwriting risk are concerned, and I speak really in relation to both Hull and P&I in this context. I think that the need for rates going forward uh, to match anticipated exposures uh, remains a central concern of the underwriting community as such. Of course, from a ship owner's perspective, the improvement in... uh, freight rates in recent months uh, and long may it continue uh, gives them a bit of a respite from some of the great financial strain they have themselves been under in recent years and may in fact prove to be the backdrop against which you know rising premium uh, rates may be justified or capable of being charged, particularly, as I mentioned earlier, if, if, if claims start to, to rise a bit. So I think the economics of the balance of, you know, cost to cover so far as ship owners and their underwriters are concerned is, is, is an emerging issue. And we'll see how that develops over the, the months and years ahead. I think it can be said that while P&I rates have been relatively flat and are probably going to remain relatively flat for a while yet. There are signs, depending on who you're talking to from time to time, that hull rates may be increasing a bit at the moment. I mean, they've taken a big hit over the last decade, but there are signs that they may be uh, turning up a bit. And I would imagine that uh, P&I rates may slowly take um, the same direction. Um, so that's the commercial side of things. Looking at the operational side of things, um, you know, there are a number of issues that are discussed within the market at the moment. Um, cyber issues, of course, uh, are one, as you, you mentioned, um, the effect of claims, or rather cyber attacks on ships and their impact create claims. From a P&I perspective, actually, um, most cyber risks... Uh, except those that uh, apply in relation to to a war loss, are in fact uh, covered by the clubs. Um, There is no general exclusion of cyber risks in the rules of of, of P&I clubs, you know, expressed generally. Uh, That's slightly different in the Hull market, as you probably know. Um, The extent to which uh, both Hull and P&I insurers are reacting to cyber issues Um, has increased a lot in the last couple of years. I mean, if you'd spoken to most Hull or P&I underwriters three or four or five years ago about cyber risks, you know, they would have probably been aware of, you know, the the general clause CL380, I think it's called, that's that's used appropriately um, on war and and sometimes Hull covers uh, to exclude cyber issues. But by and large, they were not terribly well attuned to what these risks were in practice were likely to be. That has changed enormously over the past year or two. And cyber exposures as a dimension of, um, uh, you know, the, the the appreciation of risk by marine insurers, I think, has increased a lot. And that will continue. Um, another issue is at autonomous shipping. Um, you know, I, I don't think that there's any question that autonomous shipping is, as a matter of technological um, progress that's been made, something that, that that can't come into effect more and more over the years ahead. I think from the point of view of the insurance of those uh, risks, the issue is more likely to be what legal regime will apply to autonomous shipping going forward. That, I think, is the greater question, not whether it's technologically feasible. I think there's no doubt about that. And I believe that the Scandinavians may, in fact, be uh, involved in autonomous shipping to to a small degree along their coastlines already. I think, though, the real challenge lies in establishing a legal regime to deal with the consequences of loss in the event of an autonomous ship going wrong. Uh, Another issue is... um, the issue of very large vessels, particularly very large container vessels, the practical and by extension underwriting challenges that they uh, face uh, in, in the result of a major loss, you know, a, a major grounding, a major breakdown of a fire, a, a wreck removal and so on involving one of those ships. So far, uh, those issues really haven't affected, um, you know, the, the, the day-to-day experience of marine underwriters in recent years um, whether they will in the future remains to be seen but that's another emerging th- trend as well I mean there are several but I think those are just a few uh, to be going on with
1: Yeah because <laughs> yeah, I mean I, th- I think that's one of the uh, I, I know certainly one of the issues in for, for certainly you know um, in terms of sort of the aggregation of the risks that the market faces that the you know the container vessels and these new um, almost like floating floating cities that we have in these new Super yeah. cruise ships, um, and of course the the issues around that is, uh, as you say, not only the the fact that um, you know engaging with the salvage companies in terms of how that you know how any 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 sort of salvage operation would be undertaken, but of course the the, the, the sheer scale of the exposure, and I suppose that flips back a little yeah. bit to the fact that you know that will have to be recognised, I suppose, in some ways in 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 the, the underwriting approach from from the market.
2: Well, indeed. I mean, the, the uh, limit on crew and passenger well, passenger and crew claims um, that was imposed on uh, group clubs um, back in 2011, 2012, I think it was, was in response to changes to limitation created by the Protocol of the Athens Convention at that time, and the fact that um, some of the very, very largest passenger vessels or cruise vessels uh, could, in fact, create... Uh, liabilities that would have, you know, gone significantly into the overspill layer of the international group pool or or reinsurance arrangements. Um, There was also a discussion within the international group of two or three years ago in regard to taking out container ships as a special section for the, um, uh, as a special category uh, for the calculation of uh, excess of loss reinsurance insurance rates um, because of the growing size of container ships and the possibility that they represented a disproportionate exposure to the group. There's no evidence of that at present, and it was decided in the end not to create a separate category for big container ships within the group as a result. But it's something, as I think you quite rightly say, John, that's always at the back of people's minds within the industry. Yeah.
1: Um- I mean, obviously, we touched on it a little bit earlier on, um, sort of, you know, loss prevention is a large part of the insurance, insurer service outreach in the marine um, market today, um, but, you know, particularly amongst the P&I clubs. So sort of how important is that, and, and, and sort of how, how in a way, does that work?
2: Um, I think it's vitally important, quite honestly. Um I mean, there's no doubt that loss prevention activity, particularly in the P&I world, has grown exponentially over the last 30 years. I mean, I came into this business over 40 years ago, and at that stage, really, the maximum amount of loss prevention amounted to pre-attachment condition surveys for ships. You know, it was was pretty simple at that time. Um, But these days, loss prevention embraces a very wide range of initiatives. Uh, initiatives concerning ship structure and engineering, uh, navigation and other onboard operations, uh, cargo handling procedures, uh, the physical and psychological welfare of crew and others. Um, Clubs give advice on regulatory developments affecting ships. They will give advice on the avoidance of legal and commercial pitfalls. Uh, All all this now falls within the general um, ambit of of loss prevention activity. I think it has fostered, uh, along with regulation, to be fair, but I think that the initiatives taken by the clubs has fostered a culture of safety throughout the industry. It's a major part of what clubs do, and I suggest also as part of enterprise risk management for ship owners themselves. Loss prevention clearly is an important thing. I think it's produced tangible results across the industry. I think we agreed on that earlier on. Um, it, it's a soft benefit in the sense that sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to uh, calibrate or, or metricate precisely as to how these initiatives are working. But I think that if you look at loss exposures over recent years, some of that, you know, reason will dictate. Must have something to do with loss prevention initiatives, and I think that you know there is a general consensus within the industry that loss prevention does, in fact, work, and of course is a good thing. Yeah, um,
1: I was going to say, obviously, we've touched on, and you touched on the, the the issues around sort of autonomous vessels, which, as we say, the technology is there, and 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 we see that as uh, we see that as an issue for for shall we say the the medium term future. Um, but I know certainly in the UK, in the mainstream media in the UK, over the last sort of week or so, there's been a lot of debate about sort of um, China looking to further explore the use of sort of like the Northern Sea Routes. Now that uh, you know, sort of global warming is impact. I mean, of course, that is going to bring some new. That's going to bring some new dynamics for the for, for both the shipping market and of course the, the insurers.
2: It, it it will indeed. It will indeed. Uh, I mean. P- P&I, well, I think there's probably a slight difference, actually, in the way that this is approached uh, as between Hull insurers and P&I clubs. I mean, typically Hull insurers have, uh, as part of their cover, IWL, lim- you know, Institute Warranty Limits, which exclude certain parts of the world um, from general uh, cover or trading within those parts of the world from general cover. And if you go beyond certain areas, north and so on and so forth, then uh, APs may be payable. Um, P&I clubs, in the ordinary way, just as a matter of general cover, don't have such limits. So, I mean, theoretically um, a passenger ship going up the North northern passage uh, has as much cover intrinsically or notwithstanding the fact that it's going in that direction so far north as a cruise ship would have, say, in the Caribbean uh, in the summer or at any time of year. So uh, from that point of view, um, the growing, uh, the expansion, I should say, of trade into these northern parts caused by global warming um, is not something in and of itself that challenges the clubs uh, as, as their cover currently is framed, but if it increases uh, significantly, um, and if there are Claims arising from it that go beyond the normal, then it may be that clubs take a you know a, a more focused view on this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we we for example, the American club have smaller um, cruise ships that go uh, north into Greenland during the summer, and some that uh, trade in the Antarctica during the winter or the northern winter, I should say, their summer. They've not performed any differently from the general experience that we've had of in the cruise sector or the passenger sector. But of course, if you do have a major breakdown or a major casualty, then the logistics of getting people on and off those vessels or getting some other kind of assistance to the ship in distress in those circumstances are very much more challenging than they would be you know, if a vessel has a problem off the off, off the the Floridian coast or wherever.
1: Mm. I mean, you, you mentioned that about obviously the American Club. I mean, you celebrated your centennial um, in 20 or last year in 2017. So, sort of what were the highlights of the year? And sort of, how has the club changed over over the more recent past? And obviously, you know, what do you see that maybe on the agenda for the club in the, in the next 100 years?
2: Well, I, I mean, we had a lot of very good parties, John, um, <laughs> during our centennial. Um, no, but seriously, it was, it was uh, a, a year of re- for reflection, actually. I mean, the club has come a great, uh, a great deal forward in the development of um, its business over the last 20 to 25 years. I came here in '95, actually, to fulfill uh, what was then described as the Vision 2000 strategy or initiative to grow and diversify the club from what were then very, very small beginnings. I mean, we we were then only about, oh, 3 million gross tons, believe it or not. We had 29 members, and we were 95% um, uh, uh, U- U.S. or American flag. Um, now we are, oh including all our interests, probably about uh, well, well over 20 million tons, probably 20. 20 to 25 million tons, including our F D D and charterers' interests. Um, we have about oh, nearly 300 members. Our business is very, very diversified, both by reference to vessel type and to the domicile of the management of our members. We are about well, just over 50% in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. We have a very strong position, as you know, in uh, the Eastern Mediterranean, particularly Greece our US and North American membership is still very very strong we probably have about 25 to 30% still of our total entries from that part of the uh, part of the world and of course our position in Asia to come the fixed premium size, Regal ocean marine is very strong so uh, we've changed enormously over recent years in terms of the reach of our club and our ability to Um, uh, service our members throughout the world back when I started in 95 we just had one office and of course that was headquarters here in New York but now uh, we have offices in London um, in Athens uh, in Hong Kong and Shanghai and in Houston Um, and our global reach as I say has has never been greater Um, in Financial terms were very much larger than we were 25 years ago. And there's just been an enormous outreach. We weren't originally members of the international group back in 95. Well, we were reinsured members. We weren't direct members of the pool. Uh, That changed in 98. So there's been immense change that's taken place. In addition to just the internationalization of the business, and its further diversification by reference to vessel type and so on. We've also added new lines of business. Back in '95, we only did plain vanilla P&I. Now, obviously, we do freight demurrage and defense cover. We do charterers' business. We have the Eagle Ocean Marine Facility, which is immensely successful in what it does in the fixed premium space. Uh, we made an investment back in the middle of 2016 in American Hellenic hull. Uh, insurance company in um, in Cyprus. That's done very well. Um, and we are now, I suggest, as diversified, not only in terms of our membership and uh, the different sectors of the marine insurance or, or the marine business that we touch, but also in the lines of products we have available to uh, to cater for the needs of our members and for the industry at large. I mean, I think we're very, very much part of the furniture in every part of the industry in which we, we trade at present.
1: Brilliant. If I can ask one final question, and of course you did open the door by saying that you've, you've been in this market now for over 40 years. Um, what are the main changes you've seen in the marine insurance industry over that time?
2: Well, where shall I begin? Um, I, I think that the business, first and foremost, across both uh, Hull and uh, P&I, is immensely more complicated uh, than it used to be when I started. I started in the late 70s, in 1977, in fact, and it was all relatively straightforward. I mean, you'll remember, John, I'm sure, although I you know, don't want to uh, suggest that you're uh, uh, any older or the same age as me. You would look very young, actually, as I recall, when I last saw you some months ago. Um, but you'll remember, uh, you know, a market like Lloyd's, for example, was very, very different back then by comparison with, um, with how it's structured now. I mean, there were probably, oh, well over a 100 syndicates that wrote marine business at Lloyd's back in the late 70s. Um, it, that's all changed in the sense that it's been much more heavily corporatized and very much more heavily regulated over the recent past. And that's a good thing. I mean, I'm not being necessarily nostalgic for, you know, a golden era, um, in, in the past and equally the clubs, I think were very much more lightly regulated then. Um, and the expectations of the markets and regulators and all those who are concerned with the marine insurance business at large were very much more limited at that time. But in the meantime, you know, business processes have increased in their complexity. There is much more actuarial analysis uh, conducted of, of underwriting activity, um, best practice, governance, all that sort of stuff is much, much more sophisticated now than it was when I first started, and as I said, it's driven ultimately by greater expectations of members and of of regulators. Greater transparency, I suggest, exists now than was the case 40 years ago, and that is a good thing. Uh, We've always, at the American Club, been a members club, and the relationship we've had with our members has always been exceedingly transparent. Uh, but I think that across the market as a whole, you can see that trend having evolved in the last 40 years or so. Uh, there's much, much higher levels of professionalism all around, uh, which is a, a, a good thing. But I'm happy to say, uh, notwithstanding all that uh, and the level of, uh, of, of care and diligence and, and technicality that it implies, that the business at its heart really hasn't changed that much. And it's still very much a, a business based on personal integrity, relationships, verbum meum pectum, you know, my word is my bond. Uh, and I think that, that that will persist in our business. Uh, I think that's particularly true of the P&I clubs. I've often said that we're the saltiest end of the marine insurance business. Uh, we have very strong relationships with our ship owner members, They own the clubs. They're both insurers and insureds. So to that extent, I think that the fundamental dynamic of the business, um, particularly the P&I business, has remained constant over the years. I think it will stay that way. But there will, of course, inevitably be continuing demands to keep standards high over the years to come.
1: Um, Thank you so much. Well, as I said, that that sort of brings us up to a, um, a sort of perfect timing Um, Can I thank you, Joe, obviously, for uh, another scintillating sort of uh, 35 minutes or so, um, as always, and can I hand back to uh, Nicholas?
2: Thank you very much indeed, John. It's been a real pleasure. uh, I'm, I'm honored to have been asked to express those opinions. Thank you.
0: We have now reached the end of our discussion. I would like to thank both Joe and John for their insights and for the very interesting and detailed discussion we had. This podcast is available on Capital Link's website at uh, www.capitallinkpodcasts.com and also is available on iTunes and Google Play. Capital Link aims to bring you weekly podcasts on critical topics for the shipping industry, discussing with industry leaders and decision makers. Thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to the next podcast.